Mindfulness Mode 112. You have to be focused, you have to be concentrated, because if you try and do 12,000 things, nothing gets done. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Would you like to learn more ways to become relaxed, to reduce stress, let go of overwhelm? Sign up for the free Relax and Breathe Summit. I'm honored to be a speaker along with more than 20 other experts. Get free bonuses too. Sign up at relaxandbreathesummit.com forward slash Bruce Langford or click on the link in our show notes. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Stephen Shalowitz with us today. Hey, Stephen, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm always in mindfulness mode, Bruce. How are you? I'm great. Stephen Shalowitz is an expert in the field of advertising, having worked in the industry for years. During his breaks and days off, Stephen hosted and produced radio shows. He's hosted a show featuring Latin music, another focusing on travel interviews, and yet another centering on jazz. Living in various interesting locations, including Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, Stephen is also fluent in Mandarin. Now Stephen is host of the One Way Ticket Show. This is a podcast where he explores with his guests where they'd go if given a one-way ticket, no coming back. Destinations may be in the past, present, future, real, imaginary, or a state of mind. And Stephen now lives in New York City, so you may hear some signs of New York City traffic in the background. Stephen, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, first of all, Bruce, thank you very much for that very, very kind and warm introduction and for inviting me on the show. And really, congratulations for all you're doing to promote this notion of mindfulness and also for what you're doing for the anti-bullying movement. So really, congratulations and much continued success for you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Sure. Well, for me, mindfulness, I think it's a wonderful question and it's a very interesting topic because for me, mindfulness is something that is both an inward and an outward manifestation. So the outward part is really about respect and sensitivity to others. And from an inward point of view, it's really about calm and peace of mind, peace of mind for oneself. So I look at it from both an outward perspective and an inward perspective as well. Well, I really like that, the two different perspectives, because it is true, you know, having respect and sensitivity for others is a big part of it and not judging, not judging others. So how do you find you reach that point where, you know, you don't allow other people to like irritate you, drive you crazy, like you just have like a a relaxed kind of respect for others? How did you achieve that? Oh, that's another great question. Um, Well, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's probably a daily struggle, really, because, you know, life is very hectic. And I try and put everything into perspective. Um, As you mentioned earlier on, I lived overseas for many years, and I've been very fortunate to have traveled a lot through the Mideast, Asia, Africa, to some very, very interesting parts of the world, but also to some very poor parts of the world. I mean, I've seen abject poverty like you have never seen before. And oftentimes when I'm faced with um, annoyances, if you will, 
you know, the cable guy says he'd come at one o'clock and it's five o'clock and they're not here already. Or you're waiting in line at the TSA check in at security and the line is up the wazoo. And what are you going to do? And you're, you know, concerned that your plane is going to take off and so on. I, I look at these as really first world problems. That's what I call them. First world problems that, you know, thank God I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. I have potable water. I have electricity. I have my health. I have my family. I have my friends. So I really try and put everything into perspective in those moments when otherwise I could really go off the deep end. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, I've I've often thought that travel can really add to your sense of mindfulness and you've really helped us understand how it Absolutely. can, you know, just by seeing how others live and meeting others. Tell us this. you And, and listening to their struggles and totally. then comparing their struggles with your struggles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and sometimes there doesn't seem to be much comparison when it comes right down to it, does there? Absolutely. So I know that you're fluent in Mandarin. I'd love to talk to you about your knowledge of languages and whether learning a language, is that a mindful experience for you? Well, I have to tell you, learning Mandarin has been an extraordinarily humbling experience for me because I actually started learning Chinese before it became popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about in the early 80s when people thought, as I always say, they thought I was building a spaceship in my garage. I mean, <laughs> nobody was doing it at the time. Yeah. And I'm glad that I did it. But learning Chinese has been, as I said, just a humbling experience because there is so much to learn and there's such depth to the language and so many nuances. And it's, it's been both a joy, but as I said, just a humbling, humbling experience. And how are you able to keep it up in New York City? Well, that that actually is quite tough. I mean, it's it's both easy and tough. Mm-hmm. Tough in the sense that you know it was easy when I was living in China because sure. I was I was living in Chinese really. Right. And then when I lived in Singapore, um, even though everybody speaks English there, there is a large Chinese community. So I would I was able to speak Chinese there and keep mm-hmm. it up. Here in New York, it's a little bit more difficult just because of my day-to-day routine. Um, I try and meet up with Chinese friends and I try to go to Chinese restaurants. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny, even on the subway, there are signs in many different languages. New York City is such a multicultural place that there are signs in numerous languages and even in Chinese. So I'll read the signs in Chinese. And if there's a character that I can't remember, I'll jot it down. And then when I go back home, I'll look it up in the dictionary. So, you know, any way that I can try and keep it up, I, I, I do. Well, but you... I miss, but I miss speaking it on a daily basis. I really do, and it's funny because um, there are certain words or expressions I feel more comfortable in saying in Chinese than in English, for example. And I still dream in Chinese of all things. Do so you? And isn't I that do. interesting? And what yeah. a great segue! Because I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned about the the increased depth that there seemed to be more depth in Mandarin. Can you expand on that and share with with those of us who maybe haven't ever experienced those different uh, levels of depth in various languages and nuances. Sure, right. it's funny. The one example, because I've been asked that before, and the one example that I give is there's a there's a Chinese expression. It's bu fang bian, and bu fang bian means it's inconvenient. And you can use the inconvenient if something's inconvenient when it's literally it's inconvenient, right? Mm-hmm. Like as we would say, inconvenient, but when you also say 不方便, it also means no, 
but it's a nice way of saying no. Oh, okay. okay. So you say, yo, which means like, well, it's a little bit inconvenient. <laughs> and you can kind of use that. So Chinese has a lot of wiggle room, shall we say. Okay. And that's what I really like about it. It's, it's less direct in many ways than English, right. I find. Right. So that's kind of fun, yeah. So in English, we need some more ways to say no. Would you agree with that? I, I absolutely, because you can, I mean, you can say, well, I'm not sure. Well, that's the other thing. There's, um, you know, in Chinese, oftentimes they'll say what's translated to 我不清楚, which means I'm not clear. And I always thought that 我不清楚, I'm not clear, means three, it has three different levels. One level is I'm not clear, I'm not sure, I'm just not sure. The other one is I know, but I'm not going to tell you. And then the other one is, I don't know, and I'm sort of too, I don't want to use the word stupid, but I'm too stupid to find out. <laughs> and so though, from my experience, that's what that expression has sort of meant. So again, there's a lot of wiggle room in Chinese. Right. Well, I've, I've found that your point is, is made as far as the word love is concerned. I've always felt that in the English language, there are not enough ways to describe different types of love, like the love I have for my son, the love I have for my work, the love I have for my wife. Uh, would you agree with that? In English, well, I think we use the word love, um, sort of we, we throw the word love around when are we really talking about love or are we talking about something else? Right. You know, I mean, yes. you, you love your family members, you love, there are certain friends that you absolutely love, mm -hmm. you love your, even your pet, right? You have a dog or cat, yes. you love your dog or cat. Um, you know, there are certain things that you enjoy, but sometimes we label that as love. So sometimes love, you know, the meaning of love is diluted. And, you know, when we talk about language and diluting words in language, I think also the word awesome for me is overused. Right. Because as I always say, awesome is I'm, I'm a, a third generation Chicagoan. Mm -hmm. So awesome, even though I'm living in New York, but awesome for me is when the Cubs would win the World Series. That would be an awesome event. Right. right? Versus, um, you know, uh, someone does something nice. Oh, wow, that's awesome. So for me, I like to reserve words as much as possible for what their true meaning should be. Sure. Um, sure. But awesome for me. And, and I don't I don't disparage people that use the word awesome. But that's also another word that I think is overused. Yes, I think you're right. And I think that's a good practice to be careful what words we use in certain circumstances. You know, as I get to know you, Stephen, I've I've learned that one of your really true passions is radio and expressing yourself through, you know, verbal methods because you have been involved in radio quite a bit for you is is there an element of mindfulness to that absolutely because i think that anyone that is either on radio on television that's a podcaster anyone that has a voice and is expressing that voice i mean we all have voices but for those that have expressed their voices they have a tremendous responsibility to folks out there that are either listening or reading or watching or consuming what their voice is. And it's funny because I had, as, as you said at the top of the show, I had a radio show when I was in Singapore. I was on air there for seven years. I had a weekend radio show. And I, I took great care in what I did on the show. They were music shows, but I also had uh, elements of talk because I'm a big talker. And so the station sort of allowed me to do a lot of that right. uh, happily. 
And um, sometimes I had a little bit too much talk, and sometimes the program manager would say, Stephen, you got to cut the talk a little bit and play more music, and I understood the reason why. But anyway, sure. uh, but the point is, is that I, I, I felt that there was a great responsibility that I had in those three hours during each one of the shows in terms of what I said and what I shared. And it was funny because years after I did a particular show, I would have people stop me and say, hey, do you remember you had the guest on that talked about X, Y, and Z? Or do you remember you shared such and such on the show? And frankly, I couldn't remember, right. but they remembered. So I think that whenever you express your voice, you have a tremendous responsibility for those that are, as I said, consuming what you're sharing. I think you're right. Absolutely. Uh, Stephen, I want to ask you about meditation. Is meditation a part of your life? And if so, can you describe your practice of meditation? Sure. I actually don't meditate. Um, I do pray. Mm -hmm. Um, I do say my prayers on a daily basis. And but I don't meditate. Um, I do also, I am Jewish. And so our Sabbath begins from Friday evening till Saturday evening. And I use that time to, um, really, uh, reflect. I use that time for prayer to be with family and friends and to really do what the intention of the Sabbath is, which is no work, you know, to disconnect from everything that happens during the week. So that means no work. It means, no emailing. It means no television and cutting all that out. And I find that that weekly recharging has been so important for me to cut out all the noise and to really just recharge. And that really is my form of, of shall we say, meditation or recharging. And it's very funny, actually, because years ago, I read the book by Dr. Andrew Weil, Eight Weeks to optimal health. I don't know if you're familiar with this book or not. I have not read that one, no. I recommend it because I, I read it a number of years ago. And one of the chapters, he talks about having a news fast for a week. And his point wasn't to stay uninformed. His point was to cut out all the noise that's out there, cut out all the noise in the world, and and really just to focus on your life and what's important to you. And as soon as I read that, I asked my rabbi, I said, isn't that the purpose of a Sabbath? And he said, absolutely. He said, it's to really just, again, cut out all that noise and to really just reflect on what's important in life and to recharge. And so, you know, as they say, what's old is new, right? Yes, absolutely. But, but, I, but I will add something else as well. And, and that's quiet time. I think a lot of people don't spend enough time with their thoughts. You know, you walk around New York City, you walk around any city, and you see people with their earbuds. People are always listening to something. They're always on the phone. And this is a podcaster saying, this is a podcaster especially saying, you know, sometimes you, you got to take the earbuds out and you got to just have your quiet time and don't listen to anything. Yes. Of course, if they're listening to anything, Bruce, I hope it's your show and my show. But that's another story, right? <laughs> yes, but, it is. But, you know, sometimes you just got to have that quiet time. And so for me, while I, while I don't do any formal form of meditation, I take great care in making sure that those moments after I'm waking up, as I'm just, you know, sort of, of coming out of sleep, those moments that I'm uh, going into sleep, those other quiet moments that I can have during the day, those are my times of reflection. If I'm having issues in my life that need to be resolved, those are the times that I focus on them so I know how to, how to address them. You know, oftentimes we all have difficult emails that we have to write. 
I'm sure we've all been there, right? Yes, we have. Okay. And sometimes like if, for example, it's afternoon time, I say, you know what? I'm going to sleep on it. And I sleep on it. And then as I'm waking up, the content of the email that I need to write comes to me. And then I can go in the office or sit at my desk and I can then proceed because I've had that quiet time. And I think that we just need to have those moments of quiet, um, again, blocking out the noise, even if we're commuting, even if we're on the subway, we're in the car, just have your quiet time. Don't listen to anything. And really, um, it'll, it'll ground you. Well, I'm really glad that you explained that because, to you know, your Sabbath is very, very meaningful to you. And it sounds like you, you have no screens whatsoever because you mentioned, you know, no email. I'm, I'm sure you probably have no social media then on, on the Sabbath. I don't, absolutely. And what about I, stores? Do you go into stores or purchase things? On no, it? I don't. No? I don't. Okay. No, I don't. Because... Mm-hmm. I just, again, but it's a wonderful day. It's a time of prayer. It's a time to be with family and friends. It's a time when every Saturday, almost without fail, I take a nap mm-hmm. um, for anywhere from an hour to three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the paper. I catch up on my reading. Um, I take long walks. I'll go to the gym. Um, I will do that. Or um, sometimes I'll even go to a museum. Right. Okay. But I don't do any work. Right. I and- just feel that I need to take a break from it. And I have to tell you, as you know, Bruce, because doing a podcast, it's literally you could be doing this 24 yes. seven. Yes. And if you don't take a break, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yes. And I think people have to schedule those breaks into their lives. And by the way, so come Saturday night after sundown, when I can turn on my social media, number one, I almost feel like not turning anything on. I almost feel like, you know what I did without, I can do without a little bit more and that's fine. And then when I turn it on, I can feel my heart racing, right? Like when I go on Facebook again, or I go on Twitter, or I check my emails, you feel your heart racing again. And it's just so nice not to, to have that for a 24 hour period every week. And I recommend it to everybody. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Stephen, are you, do you journal? Do you jot down your ideas and your thoughts? I wish that I was a journal writer. I really do. Um, because, or I should say, I wish I was a formal journal writer because I sometimes jot down my ideas on scraps of paper, on napkins, on, on receipts, on, you know, any paper, uh, I sometimes jot them down, but it's done in such a haphazard way that I really need to, um, be more formalized about it. Sure. I think it's a great idea, though. Do you, Bruce? Sure. Oh, yes, I, I do. I find it can be very valuable. Well, you mentioned you go to the gym. Is, is the gym and working out and exercise, is that a form of mindfulness for you as well? A- absolutely. I can't recommend it enough. And by the way, you know, interestingly, we were talking about Dr. Andrew Weil's book just a moment ago. Right. There's another book that I just got my hands on. And the reason why is because I'm hoping to bring him on my podcast. Uh-huh. It's, uh, the book is called The Big Five. Five Simple Things You Can Do to Live a Longer, Healthier Life. And it's by Dr. Sanjeev Chopra, who is, uh, his surname might be familiar to many because he's the brother of Deepak Chopra. Okay. But Dr. Sanjeev Chopra is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. And he just came out with this book, Bruce. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because he talks about the five things, as the title suggests, that you can do to live a longer, live a longer healthier life. That's the right. subtitle. And one of the things that he talks about is meditation, okay? But the other thing that he talks about is taking a walk. In other words, exercise. And so for me, um, exercise is highly important. And we know from science 
what exercise does. It releases the endorphs, right? And so it just gives us um, that whole, the, the feel-good chemicals start flowing through our body. And so for me, it just relaxes me, it calms me, and I almost can't imagine a day without some form of exercise. And if it's not going to the gym, for example, it's taking a long walk. And I'm very lucky because I live three blocks from Central Park. Oh, that is so. Great. I mean, and I tell you, even in a dead of winter, Central Park is beautiful. Right. So uh, I absolutely can't recommend enough the notion of exercise. If I don't exercise uh, or don't do some form of physical activity, um, I can't get that same sort of peace of mind, that calm and that perspective that, that I think we all yearn for. But what mindset do you use, Stephen, in order to really maintain your exercise, to make sure you don't get to the point where you just, oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow? How do you do that? That's, you know, it's both easy and tough. It's tough because I tell you, I wake up at, you know, 6, 10 in the morning. Uh, I'm a natural early riser anyway. So mm -hmm. I do get up early in the morning um, but to exercise. But um, on a day like today, I had so much to do in the morning that I said to myself, I'm going to do it later on. Part of it is, is just recognizing the fact that you're going to feel so much better um, afterwards. In other words, it's like that's the reward is that you're going to feel better. You're going to look better. You're just going to be a better person. And that's really the, the reward of it. Um, I mean, that's, that's really just about it. I, um, I, there, there's no other secret, sure. secret, um, to it. It's just the notion that you're just going to feel a whole lot better. And I think so many people are struggling with, um, health issues and weight issues, um, in our society. And again, you don't have to belong to a gym. I happen to, but you don't have to, all you need to do is just start walking. Right. And just start moving. And, right. you know, you can do so much at home just to make yourself feel better. Well, I, I just love that concept. I mean, you're right. It is a simple concept, but just focusing on how much better it truly makes you feel is a great way to motivate yourself. And do you know what, Bruce? It's in once you get started, it's it, it, the 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 ball just starts spinning, right? If that's the right you expression, have the momentum, right? It's like yes. you have the momentum. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. You have the momentum and then you just keep it going and it's just sort of part of your life. And even when you travel, I mean, as we mentioned earlier on, I travel a lot, but so if I'm not exercising in the formal sense of exercising, as long as I'm moving, I'll, I'll tell you several years ago, I was in Russia and I was there talking about Central Park in the dead of winter being beautiful. Russia in the dead of winter is also stunning. And I was there in, um, when was it? The end of December, early January, a couple of years ago. It was beautiful. And while I wasn't doing any formal exercise, I was walking every single day to the point where every night it felt like my legs were going to come off, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was so, so, and I ate all the wonderful things that there are to eat there. And I didn't gain one pound just because again, I was moving. Right. Yeah. That can make all the difference. Right. Now I want to talk about the advertising world because you've been immersed in that for years. And what you're really doing is you're helping others get their word out there into the world. And when you meet with, a client is that something where you you kind of have to zone in to that client to in other words to help find where they're at and maybe there's a mindful element to that well it depends there's so many factors that go into advertising and communication today i'm talking about mass advertising sure. mass communication sure. today that um you you just really have to at the end of the day just drill down and 
find out what is it that they want to say? What is the mm -hmm. core message that they want to communicate? And the most important thing in any form of communication really is just to be single-minded. And I always use the example when clients have, and you know, they want to put, um, as we say, 10 pounds of fertilizer into a five pound bag. Uh -huh. um, and they want to have numerous messages in a piece of communication. I say, okay, wait a minute. I throw you a tennis ball. You're going to catch it. I throw you two tennis balls. You'll probably catch both tennis balls, but you might drop one. I throw you five tennis balls. You may catch one. So I use that as an analogy when you talk about messaging in advertising or any form of communication. You really have to be single-minded with it. And that is actually always an uphill battle with a client because a client says, look, I have a 30-second commercial. I want to put as much in as possible. And, of course, sometimes they can't. So right. that's actually a whole negotiation process unto itself. Yeah. So it's all about being focused on one thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that that's a challenge for me sometimes is probably is for so many people. We, we think, you know, we just want to do so many things and I'll just mention this and I'll mention that and I'll mention something else where you really need to be thinking of the one message that you want to share. I, I know I had Jay Papazon on my show and he uh, was one of the authors of the book, The One Thing. And that really helped me to focus on one thing and one thing only. Because, and I think that all ties very much into mindfulness, Bruce, doesn't it? Because yes. at the end of the day, you, you have to be focused, you have to be concentrated, because if you try and do 12,000 things, nothing gets done. Yes. Right? It's almost like you talk about journaling. Well, I don't journal, but I definitely have a to-do list. Right. And I'm a stickler for having a to-do list because if you, it, there's a sense of satisfaction, isn't there, when you can strike something off that to-do list? Yes, there is. Right? Yes, there is. Totally. So, Stephen, you're a world traveler. Your podcast is much about travel. Can you share with us how you were inspired to become a world traveler and what that has done for you? Oh, I'd be happy to. I think actually since I was a kid, I was interested always in foreign countries and cultures and sort of what was beyond our borders. And my parents had always traveled. And I had many family members that traveled. So I think part of it is actually genetic, Bruce. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't yeah. you see, don't yes. you find you see that, right? Yes, so I part do. of it's genetic, but part of it, it was just this innate curiosity, really. And um, I was very interested, especially in China, since I was a child, because China was just opening up to the West. And there were reporters going to China and filing reports back on the news. And I was seeing this very far off land. And it just looked so foreign and so different than anything that I certainly had seen or was used to in my daily life. So I became fascinated, actually, with China since I was a child. And I knew that I was going to study Chinese when I got to college. So I ended up majoring in Chinese language and literature in college. And then um, in graduate school, I studied international relations, focusing on economics, international economics, and then Asian studies, focusing in on China. So from an academic perspective, uh, my focus was always outward, right? It was always um, something of an international nature with an Asia focus. Right. But for me, travel, it's really just about a sense of curiosity. I'm actually one of those crazy people that even though I'm very mindful of where I am, 
and uh, enjoying and absorbing wherever I am. I'm one of those crazy people <laughs> that's thinking about my next adventure while I'm on my current adventure. Right. Okay? And I know that there are a lot of us out there because I know other people have shared the same sentiment with me. But really, it's a sense of curiosity. It's a sense of trying to understand the world, trying to understand what we're all about. It's also um, embracing diversity and really enjoying and um, observing humanity and all the many treasures, the very rich treasures that are out there. I mean, just a few years ago, I was in Sudan because I wanted to go see the pyramids in Sudan. We all know about the Egyptian pyramids, but they have them in Sudan as well. And I thought, how curious, just how unusual is that? So I, I, I visited there. I mean, I visited many, many parts of the world. I've been through you know, I've been through Africa, as I said, all through the Middle East, through Asia. And, you know, sadly, there are many places I've been to, which I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole right now. I was in Libya about 11 years ago, mm -hmm. in Syria about seven, eight years ago. Um, and, you know, obviously, I wouldn't go back to those countries right now. Hopefully, right. they will recover. But again, it's just a sense of curiosity and just embracing the diversity uh, that's out there and really to be able to, uh, in, you know, appreciate it. But again, looking at all of that and experiencing all of that, um, brings the news closer to home. In other words, it, it, it gives you a different perspective when you're watching the news because you've been there and you've spoken to people and you can read between the lines and whatever the reporter's reporting on. And sometimes they don't get it right or right. sometimes they have definitely a slanted view. So you can make your own judgments because you've actually been there and you've spoken to people. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I love listening to your podcast, The Thank One you. Way Ticket Show, because you you share tidbits of information about different places you've been and different countries and it's fascinating. It really right, is. thank you. Yeah. Well, also don't forget though, because on the show, uh, our thing is that we offer our one-way tickets. It can be a past, present, future, real, imaginary, or even a state of mind. Yes. So we have given tickets out to, as I always say, it's it's the same place but a different twist. So, for example, some people want a one-way ticket to Paris today, and they explain why. But then others have wanted a one-way ticket to Paris of the 1920s. Right. Someone wanted a one-way ticket to Paris of the Belle Epoque era. Okay, so it's the same answer, but a different twist. Yeah. But then I've had really outlandish answers, you know, I mean, stuff that's way, <laughs> way out there. Yes. Okay? But then I've had other people say, well, I want a one way ticket to San Diego. But then someone says, I want a one way ticket to um, to be a Nabataean in the Negev Desert. And Dick Cavett, who's been on the show twice right now, has said that he had wanted a one way ticket for uh, to have a meal for eternity with Oscar Wilde the famous writer. Oh, yes. So, you know, I mean, you, you have every kind of uh, answer imaginable yes, on the show. And that's really the fun part. And then we explore the reasons why. Yeah, such a fascinating concept for a show, Stephen. Stephen, I've worked in uh, bullying prevention for over a decade, and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can make a huge difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about a specific bullying situation that you could share with us? Oh, sure. I, and, and you know what the sad thing is? I think we probably all have a story, yes. right? And, you know, just one example is uh, because this can be about a work environment as well, right? Sure. Yes, it can. Yeah. I mean, it's um, – I would label sort of mind games under the umbrella of bullying, wouldn't you, Bruce? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. And without naming names, of course, um, my first – job out of college, 
I had a boss, and I don't want to give details of who it was, et cetera, just out of respect. Um, but this individual uh, was relentless in terms of telling me how young and how inexperienced I was without really helping me. And it was just a daily, you talk about sort of a, a meditative mantra. I mean, this was just a daily, it was just a constant. But I knew that I was valuable to her. I knew that deep down she actually liked me. I knew that, you know, she relied on me, but it was just relentless. And it got to the point that it was not only that she was saying this to me, but she was saying it to other people right in front of me saying, well, Stephen's so young and inexperienced. It was almost like I was being held hostage at the office every day. I was told, you know, when I could eat lunch, I was told when I could finally leave, I basically had no life that year. And that was very difficult. Oh, it sounds like a real challenge. Stephen, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? That's the toughest question. And in the spirit of just a very quick round, I don't have an answer for you. Because I think everyone has taught me so much. No matter who they are, I just I absorb from everybody. So I don't have one person in particular. Okay. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Stephen? Well, it certainly makes me more respectful and more sensitive to others. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Absolutely. I think when things get tough, I always say just take a deep breath, take a glass of water, and then just have your quiet time and just think about it. You've mentioned a couple of great books already in the show, but if you could recommend another book that's related to mindfulness, what would that be? Uh, Not one book in particular, because I think, again, just like people, uh, I absorb from everything that I read. But I will say that, um, you know, we were talking earlier on about the sense of quiet, and I think sleep is actually an underrated activity. And I know that Ariana Huffington has her new book out called Sleep Revolution. And I would recommend people read Sleep Revolution because, again, we are – everyone's walking around like zombies. We're all too tired right now and we need more sleep. Right. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? No, because – even though I'm a podcaster, I rely on technology a lot less than you'd imagine. So uh, when I need sort of mindfulness help, again, I take a deep breath and I take a glass of water. What advice would you give a person who's new to this idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Yeah, I would say, first of all, get a good night's rest. Make sure that you're well rested and make sure that you also have proper nutrition, you're well hydrated. And you really put other people first, right? In other words, put yourself in other people's shoes and then uh, the whole mindfulness mode will really kick in. Right. Well, Stephen, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today and learn about your fascinating life. I mean, even just tidbits of it. And I'd just like to ask, how can we learn more about you and connect with you? Well, first of all, Bruce, this has been a lot of fun. And really, once again, congratulations on a terrific, terrific podcast. And I love what you're doing about, again, spreading the message of mindfulness. So really, thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Um, I would I would love it if people uh, visited my website, theonewayticketshow.com. 
So it's theoneweightickethow.com. Sign up there for the free e-newsletter and subscribe, rate, and review the show uh, on iTunes and Stitcher. Just go to the One Way Ticket Show, and um, they can also find me on all social media, Stephen Shalowitz, and also the One Way Ticket Show on all social media. Uh, just search for the One Way Ticket Show. And if people want to write to me, please write to me with their One Way Ticket destinations, and I'll read it on air. I always do that, Bruce. Oh, super. Um, and I want to hear your One Way Ticket destination. You'll send it to me in an email, and I'll read it on a future episode. Great. Um, and people can write to me at Stephen at theonewayticketshow.com. And that's Stephen with a V. So it's Stephen at theonewayticketshow.com. And would love to hear from all your listeners. That's great. Okay, well, we'll definitely be tuning in. And uh, thank you so much again for joining us, Stephen. Well, thank you, Bruce. I really enjoyed this. And really, again, congratulations and look forward to listening in on future episodes. Great. All the best to you. Bye now. You too. So long. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.